0: What do you do when you doubt God? What, what do you do when you doubt God? You say, Brother Bill, I've never doubted God. There aren't too many people that I've ever met that didn't go through a period of doubt. I don't think you need to over-castigate yourself if you have trouble or have a time or have a period of doubt. Is it warm in here? Are you guys taking your jackets off, I notice? It's warm. One degree down over there. One degree over here. Oh, girl, stop it now. No, it's okay. One degree is one degree now. It's just one degree. Um, I've sat through many a services sweating. I'm over talking about sitting with a jacket. We men wear ties, jacket, coat, thick coat. This is thick. And you girls come with these really summer dresses, and, and I'm venting now. Summer dresses, and oh, your legs are uncovered too. Our legs are actually covered. You want to see my leg? It'll shock you. But uh, And then you get upset with us because we would like it cool in, in the auditorium. Don't, don't do that. Just bring, like my, my wife, she'll go in a restaurant and she says, I'm cold. I said, you knew it was going to be cold before you ever got in here. How many times do we have to run to the truck for your sweater? 2,500? 3,000? You know? I'm winning, I'm, I'm winning. All the men said? Glory to God, the rest of us. But I mean, uh, I'm sorry, girls, but you know the score. You're old enough to know the score. You do what you got to do. Uh, anyway, I'm good. I'm good. I'm willing to sweat up here. I don't mind. I'm talking to those people were the ones that did it. <laughs> But there, I talked to Bob Jones III one time. I've known Bob Jones III some. Ridden in the car with him, talked with him, had him at my house. He stayed in my prophet's chamber. Um, his wife, too. His wife's in heaven now, been in heaven a while. Um, I would have never believed that she would have died ahead of him. I just wouldn't have. She was so healthy, so vibrant. But she did. It was God's way. And um, the third was raised in a Christian home. Bob Jones Sr., Bob Jones Jr., Bob Jones III. Raised on Bob Jones University campus. They had a house over on the one side of the campus. And they were raised with chapel, raised with preaching, preaching, Bible, Bible, academia. You know, you say, boy... Bob Jones in Preacher Boys class he had got up one time for a couple weeks actually talked about how he went through a period of doubt. I'm talking doubted. Is there a God? Am, am I, do I believe this just because I've been raised this way? Do I, do I believe this to be true just because somebody has brought me to a building and let me hear this from the time I've been what two years old? Now by the way my experience is my mom and dad got saved at two when I was two they were 33 and so I've been in church since before I can remember. But so do I, do I believe the Bible and the things that are in the Bible just because I've been exposed to it? Or is what's in the Bible true and eternal? And Is there a Holy Spirit? And is there an eternity? Is there a hell to miss and a heaven to gain? Is Jesus, was he a real person? Did he really exist? Was he God manifest in the flesh? Were those miracles real? Uh, Has this just been passed down through the years? Those questions are all legitimate. Every one of them should be asked. But I have no problem asking or saying those things because an honest skeptic will be convinced that what I that the Bible is the Word of God if he wants to search it out. We're talking about an honest skeptic. We're not talking about a Bible hater or a God hater or somebody that's already got their mind made up which way they want to go on it. But if they'll honestly look at it, Josh McDowell years ago uh, was an intellectual. He was a... Uh, you know, college student, intellectual, real smart guy like Grady McMurtry. And, and he uh, liked Grady McMurtry. He, he didn't believe all the Bible said. Grady McMurtry was an evolutionist. Uh, then he became a theistic evolutionist. Then he became a creation evolutionist. Or <laughs> a creationist. <laughs> creationist. And so the same thing happened with Josh McDowell. He, he set out once and for all to close the door on the legitimacy of the Word of God being true. There's just no way that something as old as the Bible been passed down through so many centuries by so many different men could be true. It it would have to have all kinds of contradictions, all kinds of er erroneous information, both in time as well as in content. What happened, Josh got saved. He wrote the book, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. It's worth a read. Uh, He was a professor when he he wrote the book. He actually had his students participate in putting the book together. And what it is, it's it's a gathering of information that I think 24 students, as a project, help him put together. It's in the preface of the book. You can read how it is. But Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote another book called "More Evidence That Demands a Verdict," and the further he got in it, the more he realized the Bible is supernatural. There is a God that made heaven and earth. He is real, and 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 just from logical argument, if you try to disprove him, you're going to be put down and put out. And so, I don't. I don't think. I, when I hear people doubting, I'm not real hard on them. But what I, what I want to know is what kind of doubt do they have? Do they have an honest doubt? Is this really true? I think everybody needs to know in their heart that the Bible is true to follow God right. You'll never follow God the way He wants you to follow Him if you have doubt. You have to get that doubt gone. How do you get that doubt gone? Well, you're seeing some of the men doing it. They're memorizing the Word of God. They're washing that Bible over them. They're beginning to read it. Now, it's amazing to me that people have told me through the years, I don't believe the Bible. How many here have had somebody tell them they didn't believe the Bible? Almost all of you. My first question back to them is, how much of the Bible have you read? Well, you know, it gets a little fuzzy from that point on. Or my other question, if they they say they read the whole Bible, I'm not going to call them a liar, right? because I I really don't think they've read the whole Bible, but let's say they read the whole Bible, somehow or another made it through it, uh, all the way from Genesis to to Revelation. I say, well then, what part of the Bible are you having trouble with? And they're like, they don't know anything about it. Really the truth is they don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know the, the books of the Bible. They don't know where they even had trouble. It's just they're parroting like a parrot learns something and repeats it, they're just repeating what somebody on the internet has said or somebody on a magazine has said or somebody in a book has said, but they have not really given the Bible a fair shake. They haven't gotten in the book in a... Remember, your eternal soul depends on whether the Bible is true or not. I never forget that I'm putting my eternal soul... Not only am I investing my years of life that God gives me here, but I also am investing whether there is an eternity or not. It's a serious thing. Your soul is in the balance. We need to know what's right. I've talked to numbers and numbers of Jehovah's Witnesses that are basically just, you know, given this agenda. And, and they're told not to ever read the Bible without the Watchtower commentary. And uh, if I ever got up and told you, never read the Bible except with a commentary, throw me out. Because I'm a heretic. Brother, the Word of God speaks for itself. With the Holy Spirit and the Bible in you, God will show you. And so my, my way that I deal with your witnesses is, would you be willing to read the Bible without a commentary from anyone? Without a commentary from the watchtower, without a commentary from a Baptist, or nobody. Just read the Bible. A, a guy by the name of Kenneth Quick, he was challenged like that going door to door one day. Now, Kevin was a real, real smart boy. He was the head of the Kingdom Hall, over 100 people in it. And he was challenged by an old boy on the door like, why don't you just read it without the watchtower? And he thought to himself, you know, I never have read it that I didn't have the watchtower, you know, right here. He began to read the Bible, got saved, wrote a book called Pilgrimage Through the Watchtower. I have it. It's out of print, hard to find. I have a few copies, four or five of them in my office. And for a couple thousand bucks, I'll give you a copy. They're irreplaceable, no doubt. But Kevin Quick did a masterful job on his pilgrimage through the watchtower. He wanted to honestly know God. He got involved in the Jehovah Witnesses, got it, got promoted, got smarter than anybody around him in it, and everything. And eventually, they eventually realized he was being somewhat brainwashed by the commentary to believe this verse says this, rather than just reading it, allowing it to have a context, allowing the scripture to teach you what the scripture teaches. He got saved, and the stories go on and on. It's not unusual to have doubts. But it is criminal not to honestly seek God on those doubts. I don't think God has trouble with you doubting or, I, or me doubting. I think as long as we honestly want to know the truth. And the truth then will come. Moses. Moses, as I mentioned this morning, number one figure in the Old Testament. Turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you would, verse 11 through uh, or verse 11, 13. And then, oh, that's 4 verse 1, 4 verse 10, 4 verse 13. Now, you may not need to turn to them, but you'll know them. that's where I'm at. I want you to know that. So God comes to Moses. He sees the burning bush. He comes to Moses. Moses sees this burning. Now, now I believe I believe, uh, Morrises are from uh, a dry part of California and, and a tumbleweed. Uh, you were telling me one time how they would explode almost when they catch on fire. It's almost like gasoline; those dry tumbleweeds or whatever they call them. When they get dry and they get on fire, they just like they burn like like they're uh, exploding almost. That's the kind of thing that this brother was looking at. And so when you see a fire on something that's that easily burnable, and it just keeps burning and keeps burning and keeps burning, it guys' attention. He goes over there. Of course, God begins to speak to him out of the burning, called the burning bush. So what an opportunity out of all the people in the entire world, Moses is given this opportunity, first of all, to talk to God. He says, take the shoes off your feet, but the ground you stand on is holy. Woo, takes the shoes off of his feet and, uh, uh, you know, puts his, you know, bow and, and, and God begins to talk to him. Out of all the people that he could have picked, he picks Moses. Wow, what a privilege. you think Moses would be all over it. He tells Moses, I want you to basically go back and to free the people. Verse 11, Moses said to, unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh? His first answer to God was, I'm not qualified. I'm not qualified. God says, I want you to do this. And he doubts God on it and says, well, you know, you may want me to do it, but you don't know me. I mean, think, think how he was insulting God, really. You know, God says, you're the guy. I want you to go do this. Uh, he's, I'm not qualified. The, the verse 13, uh, Moses uh, said unto God, Behold, when I am coming to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. They shall say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say unto them? Uh, his second objection to God was, I don't even know what to say. So I'm not qualified. I don't know what to say. Verse 4, Verse one of chapter four. But behold, they will not believe me nor hearken unto my voice. Third, his third objection was, it's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. And so he says, I'm not qualified. I don't know what to say, and it's not going to work. Verse ten. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither here are the two since I've spoken. He may. He said his slow of speech, slow of tongue. He could have had a speech impediment. You know, it was possible he had a speech impediment. But basically he said, I'm not a talker. I've talked to people about going door to door. Jesus said, Going to the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's a blanket for every believer to share, to share the gospel. But if I ask you the question tonight, how many people have you been able to share the gospel to this year? Not this year. Last year. Twelve months. In twelve months, how many people have you really been able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with? You may say, We're Brother Bill. I'm not a talker. Well, you're you're in high cotton. You're with Moses because he says what he said to God. <laughs> I'm not a talker. What are you doing? You're doubting God. You're doubting God. God says, "Do it." Hey, where God guides, He does what. He provides people. Amen. God guides; He provides. God called me into the ministry. And I about like Moses said, "What in the world?" But I understood that God's big enough to do anything He wants to do when He wants to do it. And if God's for, who can be against Him? And in verse 13 of fourth chapter, he says, Oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, the hand of him who thou wilt send. His fifth objection to God was, send somebody else. Wow. Now, the anger of the Lord began to kindle about this. I mean, you, can you get God angry? You absolutely can get God angry. Uh, so he says, I'm not qualified. I don't know what to say. It won't work. I'm not a talker. You know what? Just send somebody else. Don't send me. The following statements that I'm going to read here are taken from official documents, newspapers, and magazines, widely read during their day. And so listen to what, as I read these to you, listen to what the authorities of their day had to say. In 1840, anyone traveling at the speed of 30 miles per hour will surely suffocate. 1878. Electric lights are unworthy of serious attention. 1901. No possible combination can be united into a practical machine by which men shall fly. 1926 from a scientist. This foolish idea of shooting at the moon is basically impossible. Yes. Doubt. Doubt. Doubt, doubt. 1930, another scientist. Which scientists are notoriously wrong in lots of ways. Um, they don't have all their information or they doubt the, the greatness of what's going on. Another scientist said, to harness the energy locked up in the matter is impossible. It's about atomic, atomic energy. Of course, now we've gone past that even. There's always been those people who say it can't be done. Yes, even if I may say the experts can get it wrong. But the real tragedy is uh, that when the experts say stuff like that, 99% of the people want to believe them. We're we're, we're not prone to believe, we're prone to doubt. Uh, Oh, that reminds me of a song, that reminds me of a song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're not prone to believe God. We're prone to doubt. So this is a problem, right? It's a problem you and I really have. When we get to heaven, I think if, if God lets us look retrospectively back to our life, I think one of our biggest griefs will be when God said to do something, but we just didn't believe it could be done. When when we didn't believe it, it, that, it would, that he just would do it. I remember I've been through all of the building phases that are on the property, every one of them. Going back to 1980 on that one over there, a handful of people, 20 people back there built McKinney Hall. 20 people. Uh, You know, bucket brigaded the uh, cement because didn't have the money for a pump. Uh, Just on and on it went. Donations of all kinds of labor. I laid the tile, my brother and I laid the tile for for free, donated our tile work. Other people donated their, uh, oh my, I just can't even start the list how many people donated to make McKinney Hall happen. And on top of that, after we did all that, we still had a $60,000 mortgage. Well, $60,000 in 1980 is a lot of money. I thought, well, in the world are we going to be able to pay for that, you know? But we said, we need to do it. We need a place to meet. Then we built a two-story building, you know, from nothing, pay as we go. In other words, we just believed that if God wanted it done, he would somehow supply the need. Now we could have went down and got bank financing, and I'm not condemning anybody that gets bank financing on stuff. But we just decided that we were if the only way God had to stop us from doing something out of His will would be to stop the money. So if we went down to the bank, He wouldn't stop the money because the banks were knocking on our door, begging us to borrow the money. They want to balloon you. They want to do you, for, you know, a cheap rate. They want to get you into them. They want they want a piece of you, and so they want they want to loan you the money. Ba- they come by. I, I had a stream of them coming by a few years ago wanting us to, I don't know how that happened. It was after this building was built. And so we decided to build that building. And somehow, you know, by just trusting God one day at a time, $1 at a time, $20 at a time, no big gifts, uh, that was built. Then we wanted to build the, the, the gym, uh, the, uh, not the gym, the uh, barn back there and replace the store stuff. And then, then, then it came to this thing. Now, this was the behemoth. This was the behemoth. This was a $750,000 project. Combine everything together. Before that, it wasn't about half of that. And I just went to God night after night after night after night after night and saying, I'm going to be the biggest fool in Bonita if you don't come through. Because I've encouraged these people to build this building, and I've, I've said that you wanted to build it, and I believe you do, and I believe you led me to do this, but do not forsake me. And man, I just trusted God. I, I don't know I, I've told you a story before. Bill Davis was our finance guy, and, and Bill, he'd never been, he just had gotten saved, so he'd never really been a Christian long. And he was our finance guy. He was really good at money, been all over the world. And Bill uh, came, came up here and he he didn't, his timing was horrible. He called me on vacation one time and said, we don't have the money to pay the school teachers. I said, I'm on vacation. What am I going to do down in Key West? If you don't have the money to pay the school teachers, I'm not going to do any good from being down here. If I come home, it's not going to do any good. Actually, we didn't, what he meant was in four months, we weren't going to have the money. I said, four months, that's like an eternity. We, we've never missed, and by the way, this is a pretty good record, 40 years, or 35 years, so we've never missed paying our teachers on time. All the time, God supplied the need for that. Where God guides, He supplies. He does. So we got. So Bill comes Bill comes up to me before I preach. Never tell me bad news before I preach. Please don't. Beside calling me on vacation, which I begged him never to do that again, I said, he came up to me and he says, oh, by the way, preacher, uh, we got a bill for 110000 bucks for the drywall, and we don't have a dime of it. I'm just getting ready to preach. I thought my whole world was collapsing. Oh man, I've talked these people into paying as we go, and now we're not going to have the drywall guy. I said, "Okay, okay, God will provide, brother. God will provide. You know, faith. God will provide." And that Sunday after church, he came up here real fast, walked real fast, and said, "Brother, I can't even believe it. Oh, we got—I think we had something like 40000 bucks come in that day for the building fund." I didn't even know. I didn't. Ask, I don't know who gives what. But I don't know, praise God, hallelujah. Man, I had me a little spell. There is a God. And he does answer prayer. There's just a small few things I'm telling you about that answers prayer in. God can supply our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Just trust him. I think Asaph wrote the 73rd Psalm. If you'll take your Bible, turn to the 73rd Psalm. I'm going to do this hurriedly because I'm going to do the uh, most of the Psalm. I've divided the Psalm up into three portions. People have asked me, what kind of steps are there to having faith? Number one, you ask God, you believe God, you begin to doubt God, then you receive from God. And He helps you. There, you know, I ask God, I believe God, and it's not happening in the order I think it ought to happen. I begin to doubt God, but yet, Lord, I still believe it. And then he does it, and I'm like, why is it we're surprised when we get answered prayer? Why is it that you, now you know, you know you've been surprised when you pray for something and God answered Whoa, God answered prayer. Don't go, whoa, God answered prayer. Go, God answered prayer. Of course he answered prayer. He answers prayer. He says, yes, no, or wait. He always answers prayer, but He answers it sometimes and quicker than others. No doubt about that. And anyway, let's look at the first two verses there, uh, and, and we see we, we, what happens when when you begin to doubt God. First of all, reaffirm God's character. Verses one or two. Truly, God is good to Israel, even as such as a clean heart. But as for me and my my feet were almost gone, my steps were well nigh slip. I don't think it's a shame sometimes to begin to want to doubt God, and wonder God is it true? Help me. Lord, you know, like the man that had his child that was demon-possessed, he came, disciples couldn't cast the demon out. The guy's frustrated. The child's life is destroyed by this demon. Jesus said, "If anything can happen if you believe. He said, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. I mean, that's what he means here. Asaph said, I, I, almost, I was slipping. You know, I had some unbelief there. I didn't know. Well, God, are you going to do it? He says, help thou my unbelief. I don't think there's anything wrong with going to God like that. I think God is good. Look at his character. God is good. He's not like men. He's good. I think we need to take God off trial. Some people got God on trial all the time. You know, is he going to do this right? Is he going to do that right? But We just keep trusting him. Uh, I like Romans 9.20 where it says, Nay, but o, God, o man, or who art thou that replies against God? The thing formed, saying to the thing for, that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? I think we need to take God off trial. God's just. God is merciful. Forty-one times in the Bible it says that God's mercy endures forever. God's holy. We can believe him. We can, we, he's, not gonna, he's, not, he's not going to do something unrighteous. Holy means separated from all that is sin and rebellion and hate and lust and pride and evil. But I don't think it's any sin to struggle with doubt. And so if you struggle with doubt or struggling with doubt, uh, take hope tonight. That God wants to help you. He wants you, if you'll trust him in an honest spirit. And so we see we want to reaffirm God's uh, character in verses 1 through 2. And then secondly, in verses 3 through 12, do not judge life on face or temporal values. Don't judge by what your eyes see. Look in verse 3. For I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compass them about like a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They, are more than, they have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt. They speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his, people, therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup rung out to them. The waters of a full cup are rung. Basically, the blessings are given to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge of the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. You know, I sometimes wonder, these people who just seem like they have the Midas touch, everything they do, and yet they're wicked as this as this says here, they, they talk against God, but yet they seem to have prosperity. But remember, it is temporary prosperity. Uh, George Burns. He played a horrifically blasphemous movie uh, and he portrayed himself as God. Anyone remember any of that Here about it? He portrayed himself as God. I think he did like two of them. Um George Burns would real, real um, arrogantly say, uh, you know, he lived at 99 years old. And 99 years old, he says, people say, well, how do you live that long, George? He says, I drink whiskey every day and and smoke a cigar. Yeah, that's what he thought. He he was full of pride, full of himself. uh, But he died. Bob Hope lived a long life. Peter Fonda, others. Uh, Wicked people. You could say uh, uh, Frank Sinatra. I read something about the life of Frank Sinatra. What a wicked individual he was. And uh, what a womanizer Frank Sinatra was. And yet he lived up to a fairly long age. They, the, the wicked seem like they have a firm strength. Uh, people like Ted Turner. Um, they're not in trouble. They're not plagued. Uh, yet as a Christian, sometimes... I, I had somebody get saved one time, and, and uh, about six weeks into their salvation, they came up to me and says... I don't want to be saved. I've never had anybody really do that. He says, being saved is way worse than being lost. He said, man, everything's going wrong since I got saved. See, this is what this is talking about. He's saying, the world loves their own. Now, who's the God of the world? Satan. He's the God of the world, prince of power of the air. He has power. I believe he has power to bless people, to make them rich. I believe he has power to make people famous. He told Jesus, you bow down to me, all the glory in this whole thing, I'll I'll give it to you. It's mine to give to whom I want to give it to. So I think God, I think Satan gave Michael Jackson a deal, cut him a deal. I think think Satan gives some of these uh, rock stars deals. They cut some of a deal. I'll, I'll give you fame. I'll give you money. I'll give you all the women you could ever imagine. What's the problem with all that? We Christians, my goodness, should not envy those people. What in the world? But but Asaph says here and confesses, my foot had almost slipped. I began to look at the world and say, you know, they're doing well. They don't have sickness. I got sickness. Uh, they, don't, they don't have financial trouble. I lose everything I, I had. Uh, they, they don't have, their kids, they're all doing well. My kids, man, they're all doing crazy stuff. You know, and just name it and it come up in your mind. The results of the prosperity of the world is that they're proud, they're violent, they're overindulgent, they're spoiled, they're corrupt, they're loudmouthed and cocky, and in the end of it, they're atheistic and agnostic. That's verse 11, by the way. How does God know? There's really no God. He doesn't really know. Excuse me. Excuse me. I had somebody come up to me one time that was committing adultery. Blatant adultery. And I began to tell them it was wrong, you know, saying and to God wrong. They said, God don't really care about that. Fulfill the Bible. Fulfill the Bible. Does God really look at us? Does God, his his question was, does God really even look at it? Does he even care about that stuff? He don't care about how many wives you have. He don't care about what you do. he's He's not looking at that. I thought to myself, ooh, oh, you're going to be surprised. Going to be surprised. As a Christian, understand, reaffirm God's character if you begin to doubt. Go back to the book. Start reading who He is and what He is. Secondly, understand, understand and do not judge the temporal values of this world as if they were permanent. I've had some fabulous vacations and caught a lot of lobster and shot some fish. Now, some of you may not appreciate that, but you'll eat lobster and eat fish. But anyway, um, I've had some just absolutely unbelievable blessings in, in those things. And yet, all I have for all those times that I spent doing that is just a memory of it. Just a memory of it. And what good does that do me? That's the things of this world. All you're going to be left with is a memory. That's all you're going to leave. But you don't get to keep any of it. And the Christian, he, in following Jesus and doing the things of God and obeying God, oh, you're not going to be just left with a memory. You're going to be able to touch it. You're going to be able to feel it. You're going to be able to experience it. I believe God's going to make us luminary. He's going to allow us to move around differently than we do now. We're going to have things that are, I have not seen, ear has not heard, and there is entered in the heart of man what God prepared for them to love him. Wow. But to keep the playing field right, he doesn't show you all that. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. He does tip his hat on it, though. He does tip his hat on it. Because what I just told you was in that book, and a very strong indication in that book, and ooh, he said, and Jesus came straight up and down in John fourteen, and says, "I go to prepare a place for you." Amen. I make a joke sometimes about people having such nice homes here. When they get to heaven, they're going to be disappointed. I don't think I'm going to have that trouble. Uh But boy, I mean, you know, you would think they're trying to make the mansion not over the hilltop right here. I go out there to the beach, see them five-story, wow, and then that's just small compared to really big stuff. My brother does grinding of marble, and my son does it too, and they get into some of these $30 million houses. How do you spend thirty million dollars on a house that you stay in two weeks a year or four weeks a year? One house. One house he was telling me about had no wood in it. It was all stone or no wood. All the casings were stone. All the frame and everything was stone. Stone, not cement. Stone, and how that how the pool uh, was Roman glass. And there were each pool, and the one, one pool fell into the other pool, fell into the other pool, three pools that fell into each other. You can only swim one pool at a time. <laughs> but, shoot for the world, that's all they got. This is it. They're parting. They're hitting it hard. They're going at it. Because this is it. Oh, said, I looked at him. I go, well, now the people of God seem to be struggling and they have all kinds of afflictions and this world is not their home. And and other, But yet I see the world, man. A lot of the world, they're, woo, they're just having a real big old time. And he says, my foot had almost slipped when I looked at that. And then my uh, favorite part of this psalm, verse 13 through 16, until the third thing, he understood the meaning of he understood, well, that isn't my favorite of all. I'm going to actually go over it. They understood the meaning of personal suffering. That was the third thing. I'm not going over that because of this morning's message. But fourthly, that was a quick point. Amen. Fourthly, he saw their end. Look in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. So his foot had almost slipped. He he saw all this prosperity of the wicked. He saw their arrogance. I've heard people say, if there's a God, strike me dead now. And they'll laugh, (laughs) ha, 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 there's no God. Look, I'm still here. Of course, when they do that, I go like this. Just in case God decides maybe to take him out with an airstrike. I've heard people dare God. Get up and dare Him. That's what He said. Oh, they're full of their own selves. They're full of arrogance. They're proud. They have no suffering. But the problem is, I don't care how well they do, death is their enemy. And they'll not escape it. It's coming. He says, until I went to the sanctuary of God, that's church, then I understood their end. I'm closing. Surely thou just set them in slippery places. Oh, you know, Asaph's foot almost has slipped, but the wicked's feet are really in slippery places. And he casts at them into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terror. That's plural. As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. They sound good till all of a sudden, the big one, the heart attack, the accident, or whatever God uses to take them home. And then from that moment on for the rest of eternity, terror takes a hold of them. Fear is their constant companion because they did not put their trust in God and his word. And without that, you cannot ever prosper. So what do we do when we begin to doubt? We reaffirm his character. We do not judge what we see with our eyes necessarily. Uh, And we do not despair. You know, I saw a sign, I don't know where it was. A lot of the stuff, I don't remember where it came from. But it says, when in despair, work on in despair. I love this statement, by the way. When in despair, not if you're going to ever be in despair. You're going to get despaired. It's going to happen, probably. 99, 100 times, probably going to happen. Sometime, somewhere, something's going to happen against everything you ever thought, and you're going to want to despair about life and God and being a Christian. When in despair, work on in despair. I think that's really right. What is that? That's faith that even though I feel despair, which is a feeling, I believe God is bigger than my feelings. You with me? The fact of God is bigger than the feeling I may have at the moment. That's what Bob Jones III, going back to Bob Jones III, talking to us in chapel, he said, for two years... He struggled with doubt about God. For two years, he went to his dad. He went to his uh, people on campus. He went to the professors there. He talked with them about it. What can I do about it? And they, of course, just pointed him back to the book. He said, finally, in two years, God just, as quickly as it came, he says it was gone. What did God do to them two years? He tested him to see where he would go. When he doubted. Where do you go when you doubt? Don't go to Facebook. Don't go to Twitter. Don't go to Skype. Don't Skype somebody. Go to God. Say, God, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And God, you keep coming to church. I want to end with this. Because he said, what do people do when they begin to doubt? They quit church. They quit church. One of the first things that happened is they quit church. Asaph said, it's when I went into the sanctuary I understood their end. Here is where you're going to get your answers. Where God's people gather together, called the local church, is where God's spirit in in a group, two or more gathered in my name, it's under the foolishness of preaching that God saves them to believe, right? So you keep yourself under Bible preaching. Keep yourself in it. You may sit there and doubt everything is said, but you just keep yourself under the sanctuary. And God will come, like Bob Jones, and one day he'll say, It's enough. Test is enough. You pass. You pass. God bless. I'm glad Bob Jones III passed that test. Amen. And God's used him mightily in his life. By the way, I have a little tidbit about Bob Jones III. Somebody told me he was ready to get married. I hope so. I've been praying for him. I pray for Don Sisk, whose wife died. I pray for Dick Mercado, whose wife is right on the edge of death. I pray for, of course, Bob Jones III, who lost his wife. Because as a man, I just don't know what I'd do if my little, my little sweet thing died on me. I need him. I need God. And these boys need him. Praise the Lord if that's true. I love old Bob Jones III. He's been good for me in my life. Father, we just thank you for the few minutes we've had together tonight. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Benita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at two three nine nine four seven one two eight five. 1285 Thank you, and God bless.